The following is a fourth-hand production. Welcome back to State of Fear podcast. I am your host, Chris, and with me on this journey down the road of uncertainty and fear, but also fun. Back from the hills of Colorado. Colorado. I am James, man. Welcome back. I'm going to tell you what. Yeah. I hope you all enjoyed the uh, crossover episodes we had and the uh, special Mandela effect episode that we yeah. supplied for you while I was off gallivanting in the hills, enjoying your working on the house and vacation. just hanging out. Yep, yeah. but I'm done for the year, so All right. we're gonna get down to it. We got some really good stuff coming on, you know, on oh, the horizon yeah. here, man. I'm excited. Me too, man. It's October. I love yes. October. I love thank Halloween. You, thank you, thank you, Lord. So our next few episodes for the rest of the month are going to be all some sort of like spooky themed of course they gotta be do some aliens gonna do some ghosts gonna do some cryptids it's gonna be fun it's gonna be great yes yeah but yeah i'm glad you're back glad you had a good vacation i'm glad to be here brother man i'm gonna tell you what i miss when we don't do this oh this is one of the highlights of my week and i'm not just saying that this i i truly love doing this show with you man it's great it's fun yeah I, i enjoy it myself so so today we are going to be covering the enchantment state the enchantment state New Mexico. New Mexico. Not old yes. Mexico. New Mexico. New Mexico. That's right. Uh, yep. So today we're going to be covering three um, of the more well-known but also more infamous uh, abduction cases out of one area, Alamogordo, actually. And that which is excellent about that because nobody thinks of Alamogordo. They always think about Roswell. Roswell, exactly. Roswell, Roswell, Roswell. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's great. That's a great, neat little town. As a matter of fact, I was just there last year, mm-hmm. went to the museums and museums stuff, cool, and saw yeah. some of the evidence and stuff. It is very cool. It is very cool. But I like the fact that we found some stuff that doesn't and see, quite And see, there is a lot of stuff in New Mexico that you can, you can do. You can cover Roswell, of course. You can cover the Taos Hum. Yes. I mean, there's Chupacabra sightings. Hum. There's uh, Albuquerque is a very haunted town. There's yes, all kinds of stuff. I actually went to a uh, really cool uh, ghost tour out in Albuquerque, in old Albuquerque. Nice. And uh, it was a really neat little town kind of spooky one of the most uh one of the more spooky uh, uh stories they tell are of a ghost that looks uh, of a girl that looks a lot like reagan from um 
exorcist. Wow. Yeah, supposedly she haunts like a restaurant and, and, and people Any stories of a tunneling rabbit who seems to always get lost because he forgets to take the left turn? Well, no, because he, he gets lost. He, he doesn't take the left turn at Albuquerque, so he doesn't get to Albuquerque. So he right? messed it up. Yeah, he messes, so he messes it up. He messes it up. Yeah, and, uh, but no, no, no ghost <laughs> rabbits looking for their... The wrong turn in Albuquerque. But, uh, yeah, so today we're going to cover that. Um, we also uh, still have our uh, X-Files postcard giveaway. Yes, we do. Going on. So. Uh, it's very simple. It's real easy. Just go give us a review. It's and nothing to it. Take a screenshot. It's and, free. And it's absolutely free. There's no charge for this. And email it to us at stateaffairpodcast at gmail.com. That's right. And How we'll much easier can it be? It takes like five minutes, if that. We'll personalize it. We'll sign it. We'll mm-hmm. give you an online shout out. And we'll let you know that it's on the way. It's on the way. And you'll get a, a vintage 1996 X-File postcard signed by yours truly. Yes. So, and we're going to be famous one day. So if you don't jump on this bandwagon, you're going to be sorry. <laughs> I'm telling you. At the very least, you get a cool X-Files card. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you just put, our, you put where we sign it toward the back of the wall in the frame we just put the picture forward yeah just stick it in your favorite book it's a good bookmark there you go yeah so before we get on to uh the weird news of the day which james the one you found today is absolutely hilarious i can't wait to check it out (laughs) let's go into some interesting facts about new mexico shall we yes we shall let's do it so the first one is that you can actually see five different states from the top of the capulan volcano now, the Capulan Volcano National Monument towers over the edge of the Great Plains in the northeastern corner of the state. Yes. It's an extinct cinder cone volcano, and the formation once served as a landscape marker on the Santa Fe Trail. Today, you can drive to the top of the 8,000-foot cone for one seriously stunning view that takes in Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, Colorado, and, of course, New Mexico. New Mexico. Yeah, that's pretty And cool. I drive by that very volcano Every single time I go to my house in Colorado. Nice. It is gorgeous. Yeah. It is very, it, this is like what you call your most stereotypical volcano. You yeah. look at it, it looks like a school project. Cool. I'm not, I'm not lying. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, neat. that's what it looks like, man. <laughs> that's cool. Uh, so, yeah, if you can look up pictures of it and yeah. stuff, it's really cool. And you can also see the road that spirals up to the top. Cool. I have never that's actually neat. done that, but I am going to do that one of these yeah. days. But it's real neat because you can look out across the plains and you see there's actually lava rocks oh, that cool. are everywhere from the old days when it used to be active. Yeah, cool. And, and it's, it's really neat at sundown going through there because there's nothing out there. I mean, it's and it's uh, Capulan, by the way. Oh, whatever. Capulan. Capulan. I'm, I'm just fancy <laughs> Put a as shit. Style okay? Look, on it. You yeah. say Capulan, I say Capulan, I say Patreon, you say Patreon. That's it's, true. You know, you say it the way you want. That's right. All right. Cool. Another interesting fact, and this one I love because I'm a huge Old West fan. I love Tombstones. So. Oh yeah, me too. The movie Doc, and, and the play. Sorry. Doc Holliday himself was once a dentist in Las Vegas, New Mexico. And, of course, he shot a guy. Of course he did. It's Doc Holliday. <laughs> it's what he does. Probably didn't pay a bill on time or something, you know? <laughs> what do you mean no insurance? <laughs> it's like, look, I, I did some serious dental work. You got two choices. You pay me. Actually, you got three choices. You pay me or I take that, rip that thing out with pliers or I shoot you. Yeah. What are your choices? And and a lot of thing is, no, Doc Holliday wasn't the young, suave, debonair Val Kilmer type in real life. He was actually like 56, 57 years old. Yeah. He was actually much young, much older than the Earps, but he was still a lightning fast draw. I mean, oh, this yeah. guy was, was legendary. Yeah. The Atlanta native came west in 1879 on a doctor's recommendation. The soon-to-be gunslinger was dying of tuberculosis and was told that the high, dry air of New Mexico would help his condition. Dentistry morphed into a saloon. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. Morphed into a saloon. That's what it said. Dentistry morphed into a saloon, and the hard-drinking, smartly-dressed womanizer quickly found himself at odds with a former Army scout by the name of Michael Gordon. Uh-oh. You, you, did, you messed up, Mike. After an altercation over a dancer at the saloon, Gordon stepped outside, pulled his gun, and proceeded to shoot up Holiday's saloon. Ooh, big mistake. Huge mistake. Doc dropped him with a single bullet. Man. <laughs> the next year, Holiday sold the saloon and moved to Arizona with his friend Wyatt Earp. Wow. That's amazing. That's fantastic. Yep. That's hilarious. That's I wish they'd included that in the movie. That would have been oh, nice. Oh, I know, right? Like, like Just a, a little part. Yeah. Instead of him robbing, you know, robbing Frank Stallone of all the house money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ed Bailey. Smokey Bear is from New Mexico. That's right. I said Smokey Bear. Although we know that the aggressively fighting forest fires may not be the best way to manage our nation's forest, during World War II, Smokey was invented to help educate the American public about the dangers of wilderness blazes. The living symbol of Smokey was actually a black bear cub found by firefighters from Taos Pueblo in southeastern New Mexico during the massive uh, Capitan Gap fire of 1950. Smokey lived at the National Zoo in Washington, D.C. until his death in 1976. Oh, and that's right. It is Smokey Bear, not Smokey the Bear. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was his actual name. But Smokey the Bear, I believe, evolved from that. From that. that. Yeah, for sure. If I am not mistaken. Yeah. Another topic. This was actually one of the favorites of my father. Uh, God rest his soul. I miss you, buddy. The first atomic bomb was actually exploded in New Mexico with human you know, human people out there in the trenches and everything. Yes. On July 16th, 1945, the very first atomic bomb was detonated in the desert sands of the Jornada del Muerto in south-central New Mexico. Nice job. I hope I did that right. You did a great job on that. Known by its code name Trinity, it was the same design as the bomb dropped on Nagasaki, Japan, a few weeks later. And I was just about to allude to that fact. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The minute they found out it worked, they immediately put Took it up. on the USS Indianapolis and started to ship it overseas it to get yep. dropped. Yep. The Trinity site is located on the White Sands Missile Range and is now a National Historic Site. It is also an alternate landing site for the shuttle program, uh, which is currently, of course, on hiatus, but it was used as a backup for emergency shuttle landings and stuff. So they also uh, filmed part of the first Transformers there. Indeed, they did. Yeah. And White Sands is going to come up uh, quite a bit in today's uh, main topic. Nice. Now, you also cannot legally dance while wearing your sombrero. <laughs> I know, you're I know you're thinking about it, but don't. Step you got to be kidding me. Step away, back down, and just say no. Dancing while wearing your sombrero might land you in jail in what? New Mexico. I know. It's a sad thing. I know. No, wait a minute. That take, that, that, no, never mind. That, nope. Yep. <laughs> New Mexico has more cows than people. <laughs> <laughs> With under 20 people per square mile and around 13,500 ranches covering over 60% of the state, there's way more livestock in New Mexico than people. So head out on those unpaved roads, commune with the cattle, and watch the Milky Way float overhead in your crystal clear skies. That Ooh. is very, very true. Yep. All right. Now here's some a few famous people that are actually from New Mexico. Fantastic. John Denver, the singer, is from Roswell. I absolutely love John Denver. That's Always cool. have. That's not his real name. Uh, right off the hand, I don't know what his actual real name is. Okay. I can't remember it, but it's some dorky name. So, yeah, he went with John Denver. <laughs> John Denver. Yep. Neil Patrick Harris. Love me some MPH, man. from Albuquerque. Yep, love me some MPH. Yep. Demi Moore, actress, is from Roswell as well. Pant, pant, Roswell pant. as well. Thump, thump, thump. That's my heart. Oh, man. I always thought she was something. Yeah, mm. she was She was cute. 
and John Madden, the gruff, loud-talking sportscaster, is from Austin, New Mexico. I didn't realize they had an Austin in New Mexico. Brett Favre, and you know, and this football. What are you going to do? You go around here, bam, and then boom, and then boom. <laughs> I'm get around here, and you want to go boom. I mean, that's, that's a terrible John Madden impression, but that's what we got, so sorry. Yep. Yeah. All right, bud. Well, that was uh, pretty cool information, but why don't we go ahead and get on to your weird news of the day? I am looking forward to it. Man, that just makes me want to stand up and ride in a chariot and wave a sword. and Put my hand over my heart and say, <laughs> give me the news, sir. That's right. Today's news story comes out of the UK. Where else? Of course. And I'm looking have, for weird news, man. The UK all the best is a goldmine. All the best It's a goldmine. Gold yeah. Today's story is called the Potty Mouth Parrots <laughs> Split Up by Zoo Bosses After Egging Each Other On to Swear. <laughs> What are they, a rap group? That's <laughs> what I'm a, talking about. It's just daring each other to say, come on, come on, say shit, say yeah. shit. <laughs> Rock, kiss <Rock>. my ass. <laughs> Rock, son of a bitch. That's right. Nobody has complained about the bullshit birds, but bosses didn't want them upsetting young visitors. <laughs> Foul mouth parrots have been... <laughs> <laughs> to be separated five foul mouth not just uh, one that's five. right let me let me yeah let's, let keep me going, keep going. right five of these little bastards yeah <laughs> to be separated <laughs> bastard after encouraging each other to swear at the lincolnshire zoo i don't want to say lincolnshire i want to say sure lincolnshire the parrots named billy eric tyson jade and elsie joined Lincolnshire Wildlife Center's colony of 200 gray parrots in August. Holy crap, five of them amongst 200? Can you imagine if they actually passed it on to all 200 say, birds? All 200 birds at one time <laughs> saying, son of a bitch, fuck you. Kiss my ass. Right. You're shit. <laughs> just in unison, just 200 parrots. <laughs> oh, man, this is great. That would be awesome. It's quoted as saying, we saw very quickly, we are quite used to parrots swearing, but we've never had five at the same time, Steve Nichols, CEO of the Wildlife Park, said. Most parrots clam up when they're outside, but for some reason, these five relish it. <laughs> I love it. The parrots have since been distributed to different areas of the park. Of the park, I, This is cracking me up yeah. inside. The parrots have since been distributed to different areas of the park, so they do not set each other off. Damn. <laughs> I love it. Mr. Nichols explained that nobody had complained about the parrots, but they were separated for the sake of young visitors in the hopes they would pick up natural calls from the other African gray parrots. People have come to us. They think it's highly amusing. We haven't had one complaint, though, he added. <laughs> when the parrots... T- <laughs> this is a quote. I'm reading this as written. When the parrots tell you... <laughs> when the parrot tells you to... Fuck off. Yeah, that's it. When the parrot tells you to fuck off, it amuses people very highly. <laughs> it brought a big smile to a really hard year. That is funny. The park is also home to Parrot Chico, who made headlines in September after learning to sing a range of pop songs, including Beyonce's If I Were a Boy. Man, that whole zoo just that has some fantastic. really, really talented parrots there. I would love it. I would love it. 
What the fuck you looking at? Right? You're ugly bitch. That's ugly right. Ugly bitch. <laughs> Fat home. Fat home. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, it's like, holy crap. Can you just imagine? Oh, man. It went off that the chain there a little bit, but funny, I'm going to tell you what. Like I said, shit, man. that's the story. It's brief. It's funny. That's how I like that's it, actually, man. It because is weird. In, in this day and age, man, we need funny we stuff. We need laughter. Yeah. We need, we need laughter. And what's better than cussing parrots, man? I love that. Dude, the only thing better than cussing parrots is like, a parrots is like if they had a zoo of monkeys flipping you off every time you went by just giving you just a big old middle hey, finger you there know? are monkeys that know how to do that but oh, that's are there? Right. oh yeah they're <laughs> that's, smart that's awesome As we mentioned, today's uh, story is going to concern three rather interesting UFO abductions nice. in the area of Alamogordo. Like I said, these these three aren't, some of them are actually, a couple of them are actually pretty well known. But Well, your co-host is unaware of them. Well, there we go. That, that, and that's, I have heard of Alamogordo, but I never heard of any abductions in that area, to be honest with you. And this is going to be exciting. It's the first time I'm here. I like it. All right, so let's get into it. So the first one takes place in the year 1949 to 1950, around those bouts. And I, I got my information from three different sources. And, of course, all, all the uh, resources or all the links for the research are going to go in the show notes so you can find them there so you can check it out for yourself. So, in 1954, Daniel Fry published a book called The White Sands Incident, which described his abduction by a humanish-looking alien called Alon, pronounced A-Lon, A-L-A-W-N. Not A-A-Ron? Not A-A-Ron. Okay. But A-Lon. A-Lon which took place at the White Sands Proving Ground near Alamogordo. Fry worked there at the Aerojet Engineering Corporation, setting up instrumentation to test rockets at the test range in White Sands. On the evening of July 4th, Fry was planning to go to Las Cruces to join evening festivities. However, he missed the last bus out and so decided to hang out at the bachelor's officer's quarters only to find it empty. Everyone was gone. They were out celebrating already. Man. Everybody else caught the bus on time. That would suck. He was late. So he just by himself. Like, well, well, serves him right. Yeah. What am I going to do? Yeah, be on time or you get abducted. So for some reason, because this is pretty much normal. I mean, it's, it's dead, of, dead of night. He realized he had the entire night to himself. So he decided to go explore a section of the desert he'd never been down before. Because that's what you do on July When you're 4th. alone and it's dark. You're go explore somewhere you've never been the in the at, dark. The desert at night you haven't been to is perfectly <laughs> safe, right? Yeah. What can go wrong? What could possibly happen? Well... It was during this exploration that he came into contact with Alon. I keep wanting to say A Aaron now. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's all right. With a large ball-shaped UFO, 30 feet in diameter, 16 feet high, landed right in front of him. He said he then communicated telepathically with the pilot before being invited on the ship and took a ride to New York and back in only 30 minutes. What the hell? Is he a Vulcan? <laughs> I don't know. I guess. That wasn't even invented yet, though. Vulcans weren't even invented yet. So. Well, that's right, because it'd be a few more years, right? In, in 66. 60s, right? Yeah, there you go. Yep. The pilot, Elon, told Fry he was from a race who were originally from Earth. 
he was a member of the race that lived on the legendary lost continent of Lemuria. Allen stated that a war broke out with Atlantis, the other continent, and when their continent was destroyed, he and his people left Earth and colonized Mars. Yeah, it sounds crazy as shit, right? You know what? What? These days, I'm almost damn near ready to believe anything (laughs) when it comes to that. You know, when it comes to UFOs, aliens, and stuff like that, because, like, the, the... you know, like they have the face on Mars. There is evidence of water on Mars. They've now found an underwater salt, an underground saltwater lake. Yeah. There's all kinds of stuff, you know. And once we finally get us a mission to Mars, who knows, man. See who Go is. ahead. Sorry. No, you're good. So Fry would end up, so here's where it gets a little, a little sketchy. Fry would end up using this abduction and information download to set up his own religious cult called Understanding. Oh, Lord. Which had up to 1,500 members in the 1960s and lasted until 1978 when it was disbanded due to lack of finances, failing membership, and the accidental burning down of a property, of a building on the property donated to them in the 1960s. Oh, Lord. Yeah. That was so we're not going to find them in an underground, underground cave no. under somebody's swimming pool? <laughs> no, no. Jeez. However, this encounter is most likely a hoax as there are several inconsistencies with Fry's story. So let's, yeah. get, in, let's get into those real quick. <laughs> You got to lay off that sniff, bud. (laughs) (sighs) Okay, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So so Fry originally claimed the encounter happened in 1950 while working at White Sands. However, his employment at White Sands ended before his encounter, and he later changed the date to July 4th, 1949, to coincide with when he actually worked there. Yeah. You're fired. (laughs) The parents are here. Oh, shit, the parents are here. (laughs) Lying bastard. He claimed to have several degrees that he never actually acquired or from universities that he never that were not accredited. In oh. particular, he had a he claimed to have a doctorate he received from a mail in order or mail order facility because that's <laughs> that's reputable, right? Yeah. He also failed a lie detector test about his claims immediately after the book's release. Oh man. He released some photos and a 16 millimeter film he took of the UFO which was later found out to be faked. Man. Ugh. And lastly, one year before the release of the White Sands incident, Fry released a fiction book called Two Men of Earth, which related his encounter with another famous UFO figure, Valiant Thor. Which leads us to our important point of the day, or at least at this point of the podcast. Yeah. Don't do drugs, please. <laughs> so at least don't do drugs and go in the desert. So when he when he said he was going to the desert to explore, what he meant was he was going to desert to do drugs. Drugs, see things, invent up a story. He went and had himself so, a a spiritual uh, journey. He he took some really strong stuff out there and he just saw all kinds. But of you're gonna try to you're gonna try to write a book and pass it off and start a cult when there's absolutely when there's absolutely no corroborating evidence, yeah. no witnesses except him. I wouldn't have bought that for half a second. <laughs> but this is 19. 19- 49 god knows james and he had 1500 followers that means he meant that shit that's right he meant he believed that shit all right the the hell with him who we got next (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) nice all right so ted davenport this took place in june 1975 ted davenport then 16 went backpacking alone in the mountains east of his home in alamogordo new mexico do we notice a theme here Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. alone 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 stop it now, he carried his M1 rifle with five mags and his dad's Colt 45 Auto on his hike. Though he was armed to the teeth, as he put it, he still didn't feel completely safe, as he couldn't shake the feeling of being watched as he hiked. <laughs> he was sitting in his tent one night around 9.30 when he suddenly heard a voice tell him to come outside of his tent. Rock! 
<laughs> Shit, get your ass out of here. <laughs> I'm hungry, Sorry. bitch. There's gonna, I think there's going to be parrot appearances during this whole thing. I'm I think sorry. we should make the parrot our official mascot. I think so. Yeah. Cussing parrot. <laughs> when he did, he said he saw two or three small alien beings just outside the light of his campfire. He was immediately placed under their control and blacked out. He woke up the next morning sleeping outside his tent in his sleeping bag next to the burnt out campfire. The left side of his skull was sore, and he found a weird knot behind his left ear. Oh, However, he would not... Get <laughs> skull fucked or something? <laughs> like, what the hell? He would not recall this event until March of 2002. Aye, aye, aye. One year later, in 1976, he joined the Navy at 17, and on July 5th, 1980, he was injured in the line of duty while saving the life of a child. God bless him for his that. His left arm would be paralyzed due to torn nerves from his spinal cord, and his left scapula would explode, sending bone fragments out of his body. Holy hell. He was taken to the nearest ER, a civilian hospital, by the way, where he would be for three days before being found by the Navy. The Navy moved him to a military hospital and placed him in an ICU due to the nature of his injuries. He claims that when he underwent surgery, the doctors saw a wire in his skull, but did not remove it or bring it to his attention. Now, why in the hell wouldn't they tell him, though? Because it's the government. I mean, really? The government. It's like, oh, shit, this is one of those Because the government knows that they're, they're working with the aliens. They let them abduct people. And so when they see they're like, oh, shit, that's the alien. But we can't tell them because we can't tell people that we let them abduct people. So let's and he's just, got a wire coming out of his head? It's in his, not coming out of his head. It's in his skull. In his uh, skull. Under the skin. Under, oh, geez. So, that, you know, the surgeon's cutting and, he, and the wire pokes out like a speaker wire. He's like, oh, let me just tuck Hence that. Hence the sore skull and tuck that, that back maybe. In. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, geez. Yeah. Transceiver. <laughs> he was not made aware of it until 2001 during an MRI of his brain and spinal cord. He claims the alien oh, beings were responsible shit. for his pain and suffering when they put the implant in his head in 75. And he was repeatedly abducted from 76 through the present day. Holy crap. No, yeah. tracking device. That's what it is, yeah. Well, but see, when they do an MRI, though, man, the magnetic force of that thing, I guess it must have been some kind of non-metallic alloy because yeah. if they'd have put him in an MRI tube and that was metal, it would have ripped it, it right out of his skull. head. Yeah, and, and most Holy likely it was. If it was if it was some sort of advanced um, alien technology, it wouldn't have been yeah. non-magnetic for sure. Not of this earth. Not of this earth. Hey, do we have a hey, Claxmore? Do we have any extra speaker wire for this guy? <laughs> I ran out last week. No, I don't, but here, use this. This is okay. Rock, dickhead. <laughs> the fucking aliens have pairs now, too? <laughs> they got a parrot on board. God. Parrots are everywhere. <laughs> Take it over. <laughs> okay, last but not least, Sergeant Charles L. Moody. This took place in August 1975, so it's all relative, relatively within a short time period. Barely short, uh, yeah. all, of course, taking place in Alamogordo. Well, that's about a 30-year span from the first guy. Well, yeah. about 34 years. Something right, like but, that, but, but yeah. uh, these two were actually one month apart. Oh, shit. So, one month after Ted uh, Davenport's abduction in 1975, Air Force Sergeant Charles L. Moody would have his own abduction in Alamogordo. Moody was in the desert observing a meteor shower at about 1.15 a.m. when he saw a glowing metallic disc-shaped object falling towards the ground about 300 feet away. Wow. Theme. Yeah. The UFO was about 50 feet long and 18 to 20 feet wide. As it descended to an altitude of 15 to 20 feet, it wobbled on its own axis. Then it began moving slowly and steadily towards Moody. He jumped into his car but was unable to get it started. Now, the UFO came to a stop about 70 feet away, and Moody could hear a high-pitched humming sound. He then noticed a rectangular window in the craft through which he was, could see shadows resembling human forms. The noise stopped, and he felt a numbness crawling all over his body. You know what? I've often wondered 
you think, you know, due to the high, for some reason, the high percentage of yeah. extraterrestrial activity in the state of New Mexico, I'm wondering right. if the Taos home has anything to do with that. Like maybe there's a transceiver or maybe it's some kind of signal they're sending out to control these humans that have these little knobs in their heads. And the why wires, only yeah. certain people can hear them. Because you, you know, so, so they, they say only certain people can right. hear the home. Right. You think maybe the people who can are abductees? I don't know. It's very possible. It's just a, it's a loose theory, but I mean, it's like, I mean, you know, at I think this about point, it. any theory is possible. And I, I, I but would I say that. I didn't hear a, about the whole wired head thing in the, you know, several abductions. That's the first time I've ever heard of an actual tracking device being possibly put into somebody's skull. See, actually, and, and um, I've heard quite a bit about that. There, there's a, a specific um, doctor, I think his name is John Mack, who specifically worked with people who found tracking devices in their oh, bodies. And, wow. And he had he had a surgeon who would help remove these things from the people's bodies, and they, and they were anything from a wire to just a small piece of metal that was not there before. Resistance is futile. Bring me some donuts. <laughs> I want some donuts. Claxar wants tacos. Well, that was just a little side thought that I had because no, it's, I think it's, it's a pretty good uh, assumption. I mean, if, if because you all, and when you think of UFOs, any the only thing anybody ever thinks of is New Mexico, right? Period. New right. Mexico. That's where the ship crashed. That's where this is at. That's where the Area Fifty One is. I mean, right. it's like hello. Well, it's, it's nearby. By Nevada, but yeah, that's right. But that's, even but uh, it's even close to uh, Arizona where Sedona is, which yeah, is a huge. But hugely, it's all desert. Yeah, but it's all out Sedona there in the middle is a of hugely like like wooey wooey place. You know, yeah, like, it's it's, re- it's like a vortex or some shit. They say it's crazy. Now the next thing he remembered was he was seeing the object rising up into the sky and disappearing over into a distance. Moody was terrified and was able to get his car started and and drove off quickly. When he arrived home, he noticed to his surprise that the time was three a.m. He felt that he had somehow lost one and a half hours of his time. The following day, he experienced a pain in his lower back. Within a few days, a rash broke out over his lower body, and upon the recommendation of a physician, he began to practice self-hypnosis in an effort to recall what had occurred during the lost period. Only in the 70s would a physician tell you to do self-hypnosis. Yeah. Fucking hippies. (laughs) (laughs) Over the next few weeks, he was able to piece together an almost complete picture of the events. Now, according to Moody's subsequent recollection... After being overcome by numbness on August 13, 1975, he observed two beings approaching his car. About six feet tall, the creatures wore skin-tight black clothing. After a brief scuffle with them, he was rendered unconscious. He woke on a slab inside the craft. His limbs felt heavy. Next to him stood the alien leader, or so he believed the alien leader. I'd laugh. He woke up and there's five cussing parrots looking down at him. (laughs) Shit, oh my God, that'd be great. Best abduction ever. Rock! Problem. Stick it up his ass. <laughs> oh hell! Now the latter was distinguishable from Moody's two captors by his short stature of about five feet and the silvery white color of his suit. However, like the others, he had a large, hairless head, a protruding brow, roundish eyes, small ears and nose, and very thin lips, and his skin was a whitish gray. The leader then asked Moody telepathically if he was prepared to behave peacefully. When Moody agreed to do so, the leader applied a rod-like device to his back, which relieved the paralysis. Huh. He was then taken to another part of the ship where he was shown the drive unit, a device consisting of a large rod surrounded by three glass canopied holes. Each hole contained a central crystalline object with one rod on each side of it. One rod had a spherical head, while the other was topped by a T-bar. Huh. Yeah. That's cool. As no, he moved, I mean, you know, kind of that kind of 
makes me think about when we talked about Travis Walton's oh, yeah. mm-hmm. and the fact that the aliens were not these hostile mean things. They actually showed him around right. and let him go. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't want to stray too far off of that, but I just think that's pretty cool. Now, as he moved about the craft, Moody noticed a sweet, stifling odor. He was told that the alien mothership was situated miles above the Earth. He was promised a future meeting with the occupants, but warned that closer contact with Earth men would not be attempted for other, another 20 years. Well, it didn't happen. No. The aliens then told him that he would have no recollection of the event until about two weeks later. The leader placed his hands on the side of Moody's head and rendered him unconscious once more. An analysis of, of Moody's claims by Charles McQuiston, co-inventor of the Psychological Stress Evaluator, indicated he was telling the truth. Investigator Jim Lorenzen, however, questions a couple of contradictions in Moody's account of the incident. In an early telling, Moody related that the alien ship was located 400 miles above Earth. Later, however, he said it was 6,000 miles away. Another point which Lorenzen notes is that Moody at one time referenced to his two captors as feral creatures, yet later described them as being six feet tall. Feral, that feral creatures? Frail creatures. Frail. Frail. Thin, skinny. Frail. Very fragile. Gotcha. Yeah, so that's the abduction of Charles Moody. And those are the three Alamogordo abductions that I could find that were uh, within a relatively short period of each other. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that makes a lot of sense because usually if they're going to be conducting experiments, they travel long distances to get here. Yeah. They'll be here for a few years, conduct their experience, you know, experiments. And then again, also... What factor does space have on time? Things like right. that. We don't know. Nope. Uh, so that is very, very cool, man. And I say three, and I guess we can probably call it two with an asterisk for one, because the one was most likely definitely a hoax. But all in the desert. All near Alamogordo. Every one of them was alone. Yep. You know, and, and there were no witnesses. Yeah, no witnesses. Yep. Just their own word. Yeah. You know, and, and you want to be able to believe people at their word, but you never know. However, I mean, only I, one claim to have actually been implanted with something yeah the other two just were abducted and then shown something that was it i suppose yeah but yeah man so that's uh that's that's the uh crazy crazy almogordo pot smoking lcd <laughs> lcd lc <laughs> lsd lsd <laughs> no but uh I'm, i think charles moody was actually pretty reliable I, I think his story was had holds much more water than the other two for sure yeah i, I, I you definitely want to believe some of this stuff because i ser- sincerely believe ufos exist we've talked about this several too. times yeah before. absolutely yeah so all right, man, well, why don't you tell the fine folks at home where they can find us and where we are located at now and all the other good stuff we have going on. All right, brother. Well, first of all, I'd like to let everybody know that we have moved platforms. We are now on Spreaker.com, and we are also on Podbelly. Uh, we are also, of course, you know, anywhere else. Everywhere you else. Find, you know, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Cat you box. name it, we're there. Everywhere, yeah. Yeah. We're also on YouTube, and Chris has done some excellent work our YouTube channel has really come together. It is now called Cornelius Entertainment, which yes. enca- encompasses both of our shows. Yes, State of um, Fear and What the Suck. And we are also members, of course, of the proud fourthhand.com media network. That's right. You find us you, there. You can find both our shows there along mm-hmm. with other several fine projects. Absolutely. We are on the Big Evil Facebook and, yeah, I don't Twitter. Like 
We are on Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> Twitter. Rock Twitter. Yep. And of course, and we Instagram. are also on Instagram. That's that is right. correct. And again, don't forget, we have that X Files uh, giveaway going on. Just give us a review, send us a screenshot to the email, stayafearpodcast at gmail.com. Now, a little business. We Once do we get have, that, we'll yeah. contact you, get your address, and we'll send you out a postcard. And it's that easy. Super easy. Free. No cost easy. to you nope. whatsoever. It takes 30 seconds. But we do have a Patreon at patreon.com slash state of fear. Where we have a lot of cool bonus content already up there. We have some rest stop uh, episodes, which are our bonus content, which has nothing to do with a particular state, but just more cover a topic or a subject or something. Like our recent episode on the Mandela Effect yes. movie. Uh, we actually discussed the topic, and then we also watched the video yeah. and share that with you as well with our commentary. Uh, you know, serious commentary, yeah. but fun. Um, but that this is kind of like a teaser, like a yes. kind of a taste of the extra material that you will get on exactly. Patreon because our rest stop episodes are exclusive Patreon material. Exactly. So and we only have three tiers: they're dollar, five dollars, ten dollars, whatever you want to uh, donate. And of course, it helps us out and it makes the show better. So we appreciate that. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, James. Well, uh, I'm ready to head out. So why don't you reach in there and um, see what uh, what uh, tape are we playing today? All right, man. Let me dig around here and see what I can come up with. Ooh, what'd you find? All right, man, looky here. This one's a great one. This is a band called Simple City. It's a four-piece instrumental, experimental, progressive rock band from Houston, Texas. Right here in good old Houston. Hometown, H-Town represent. Represent. Made up of childhood friends Raymond Cortez, Mark Lanas, Damian Luna, and Vincent Rodriguez. All right. And the song they're going to be jamming to today, my brother, is called The Arrival. This is an awesome tune. Cool. Let's slip it in and get on down the road. What do you say? All right, y'all. We'll see y'all down the road. Peace.
You've been listening to a fourth hand joint.